Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, 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 welcome. Brendan here with Mark. It is episode special. Mark, a special episode number 150, which I think it means we've been going for approximately three years, Mark. Am I correct? Your maths is impeccable. I I find it hard to believe that we've been, it just seems like a week or two ago we started doing this and um, and all of a sudden we clock up 150 episodes. That's pretty special, I'm saying, Brendan. 150. And I know I kept promising our listeners that we'd have a giveaway for our 150th and guess what? 150 is here and I still haven't got anything (laughs) organised. But perhaps if we... uh, Mention now as it goes to air, which is August the 21st, 2020, send in an email and we can randomly draw a person from the emails we get over the next week, Mark, and um, I'm sure we'll find something to, that we need to offload uh, from our, our junk um, pile in our corners of our, our studies or our studios, Mark. Um, I'm sure we can find something nice um, to send to people, um, even during the current restrictions. Um, the mail will get through, Mark, won't it? Indeed it will. Indeed it will. Even though uh, in Australia here it's only going three days a week, I understand at the moment, but we will use those three days effectively to deliver the, you know, plunder, the rewards. Yes. The rewards. We've accrued 150 episodes and so much, uh, you know, sponsorship and equipment and stuff that gets poured in on um, uh, celebrities who uh, um, perform podcasts, Brendan, and we've got none of it. That's right. I've got boxes of stuff unopened um, that have been sent to me. Um, It's from angry clients, but um, nothing from our podcast listeners, unfortunately. No, we've got some very good sponsors, and um, we should mention our sponsors, Mark. Um, Thank you for reminding me, and um, I would be remiss if I did not say hello to our main three sponsors, Microchips Australia, which is the Australian distributor for Trovan Microchips, Readers and Reading Systems, Lone Star Veterinary Retractor Systems, and Pet Trek GPS Tracking Products. And a big shout out and hello to Doug, and um, he's been a wonderful supporter of um, the Vet Gurus from virtually day one, as the other two sponsors have as well, Mark. And that includes number two not necessarily number two. They're all number one, aren't they? Specialised animal nutrition, Jen and her family and her wonderful workers um, who are the specialised animal nutritionist, the Australian distributor of Oxbow Animal Health Products. And um, we love our Oxbow products and the range is fantastic and we use it by the bucket load, Mark. And the last one, speaking of the bucket load, we use the next one by the... Well, by the um, by, the bucket um, to clean our clinic, and that is Chemical Essentials, which is the Australian as well as um, there's a distributor in New Zealand and Singapore, and I think Papua New Guinea of the internationally acclaimed, according to Andrew, um, F10 disinfectant <laughs> range. And um, I've, Andrew I've, actually, I've claimed it. Uh, claimed it on at least um, several countries. So his claim is not without founding. No, it isn't. Um, And he dropped in the other day, even though we're in lockdown. Um, I heard the um, little doorbell go at the front um, near reception and Sam, my nurse who was on, quickly ran out there and um, I heard her chatting to somebody and I was expecting that she was berating somebody for trying to come into the vet clinic and not reading the sign. And it was Andrew dropping off um, a sample or two of the F10. So um, I didn't actually get to get to speak to him, but um, good on you, Andrew. So, yeah, they're our main sponsors, Microchips Australia Special animal nutrition and chemical essentials and also thank you to all our patreon sponsors um, and you can go to our website vetgurus.com and click on 
throw us a bone or help us or please support us to help keep us going for another 150 and um, you can then click on to the patreon website and it can cost you as little as well one dollar which one dollar australian isn't worth much <laughs> these days isn't mark with the current financial climate but yeah thank you all and um even if you don't sponsor us we we um we're very appreciative for all our listeners so yeah that's our that's our little promo and our little blurb, and we'll talk to you all next week, uh, or perhaps not. So we've got something special, haven't we, Mark? We have something special this week, and we don't have any news stories because we're going to cut to our interview with a um, a very dear friend of ours, and um, I won't go through the introduction because we will talk about that um when we were chatting directly with him. Um, so we will cut to that now. Well, here we are, episode 150, and we have a very, very special guest, Mark, um, and a very good friend of yours and a very good friend of mine. Um, well, where do we start? It is Dr. Robert Johnson, who is a, well, he'll tell us in a minute, possibly semi-retired veterinarian, a reptile veterinarian and still is, um, past president of the Australian Veterinary Association and where he used to work. I think he was known as the Penrith Professor. Is that correct, Robert? I don't know about that. Jane certainly <laughs> didn't call me that. <laughs> so, Robert, gee, where do we start with you? I want to start with MADA, Reptile Medicine and Surgery, the Bible, as they call it, um, third edition. And you happen to write or co-author one of the chapters there about venomous reptiles and handling venomous reptiles. And I think you've got a little story that sort of goes on with that. And how come you scored that chapter? Um, well, it, funny I, you should, should say that, uh, Brendan. And um, hello, listeners, uh, at this uh, sesquicentenary <laughs> episode. Um, uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, I, I scored that, I think, uh, a couple of reasons. Um, uh, one of the editors, um, Stephen Divers, knew of my interest in venomous reptiles and I'd already written a, a small chapter in, I think, the um, um, Journal of Ex Exotic Pet Medicine. That's the one, isn't it, Brendan? Yes. Yep, uh, a few years back. Um, and so, yeah, I was honoured to do that. And you know how when you write something... Um, it's better you can always, or when someone presents, you can always tell that they're speaking or writing from experience, um, you know, it, because it really sounds as though they've lived the subject, right? Well, um, when I started writing it, um, I really hadn't lived the subject um, uh, to my sort of, I, I guess, satisfaction. So halfway through writing it, I was bitten by an eastern brown snake. And um, from then on in, you know, I sort of could add things like pictures of me with a snake bite being put on a trolley, um, you know, all those sort of things. And, and, and also, um, I guess, uh, what it felt like to be uh, bitten by the second most venomous snake in the world. A friend of mine said, um, uh, why wasn't the first venomous or the top venomous snake uh, in the world available? But, um, yeah. That's the inland Taipan, but um, yeah. So that's so. How, what did it feel? What did it feel like? Um, well, it, it was just a little graze, really. And um, I mean, silly me, as my son Edward said, that I didn't even follow my own venomous snake protocol, which which he helped me write. Um, so um, yeah, it was just a bit of a, a graze. And I looked down to my arm and at my arm and, and it was bleeding. There was a small scratch that was bleeding. I thought I'd been bitten. I better sit down. And I sat down. And meanwhile, the snake handler, the, the wildlife rescue guy, was um, he was quite animated and quite upset and quite, you know, agitated. And I, I was there sort of sitting down thinking, oh, I've got to be calm. And then I was sort of telling him to be calm, you know, just, just settle down, Sean, you know. Um, it was sort of a reverse situation the way it should have been. You know what I mean? Like, wasn't yes. I the one who... And this, so this was a, this was not a, 
pet. No, it's a wild. Was a wild, a wild one that you were that was brought to you for treatment. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It had a um, it had a small injury, and um, he he got it out. And the mistake I made was I should have got him to tube it, but I. I didn't, silly me. I was just thinking of getting home. Last consult of the day it was around about five ish, and uh, actually it was 10 to 5 on the 6th of March 2017. It's indelibly into my, into my brain. I was, um, yeah, thinking of going home and uh, having dinner with Jane and a glass of red wine, and whammo, it happened. So, um, the uh, the ambos got there pretty qu- quickly within 10 minutes and I'm only five minutes away from the hospital and I arrived at the hospital and uh, put into, um, I just thought it was an emergency ward, but later on when I sort of checked the uh, trolley next to my bed, I could see that I was in the resus ward because they had a laryngoscope and methonium and all sorts of things in the... Well, as long as it wasn't the mortuary. No, no, no. Um, I, I did not smell any formalin. <laughs> <laughs> and did, so yeah, you, you mentioned at the start, um, and I, I, I was asking you, so how did it then feel? Did you just... Is it like you f- just feel like you have a bad flu? Do you feel crappy? Do you um, feel... Um, Exhausted? What? No, like with with black snakes and tiger snakes and say you know broadheads and those sort of snakes, you'll feel really crook very quickly, um, and you'll get you know probably abdominal pain. You might get vomiting and all sorts of things. But with the brown snake, um, yeah, I, I really, as time wore on, I. I felt a little bit um, maybe slightly um, headachy and uh, a little bit faint, but I think it was because I hadn't eaten for a while. So um, they'd, they'd taken the, the, the um, pressure bandage off and they would take serial bloods while that was on and then, uh, and then once it's off, they're still taking serial bloods. And... Uh, so I just said, oh, I've just got a mild headache and I or can I have a Panadol and I really feel like something to eat. So they gave me a sandwich and I felt better after that. Uh, but they were still tossing up whether to give me antivenom and they were in consultation with a, a toxinologist um, who was on duty and the, the person who was on duty was in Perth. Um, so they're sort of doing it all on the phone and uh, looking at my blood parameters, he still didn't feel that um, I warranted antivenom. But by the next morning when my um, glomerular filtration rate was increasing or getting getting worse, sorry, not increasing, my creatinine was increasing, the GFR was getting worse, um, my attending doctor came and said, uh, the, the, um, maybe we should have given you the antivenom last night. And I said, <laughs> well, it's too, too jolly late now, you know. Uh, but I, I'm a bit of a pragmatist. I, I sort of... You know, I'm a half glass full sort of fellow, and I was pretty optimistic. Um, after I sort of, you know, recovered, you know, after about three days, um, and Jane was sort of then talking to me because she was a little bit upset that I did something quite silly. She was quite concerned. She said that, uh, you know, she drove from where we lived, like down the centre of Sydney, if you know where we live there, and. Um, she drove in peak hour traffic to get to Penrith to the hospital and she came into the waiting room at emergency and Sean, the wildlife guy, he comes out and he's distraught, he's in tears. So what does Jane think, right? (laughs) (laughs) The worst, Um, you know, checking the insurance policy and stuff like that. Um, But then, you know, um, I I was okay. You know, I bet I'd been bitten and I was sort of my, my... my blood work by the next day was uh, looking as though I could have some renal impairment and I had what's called a venom-induced consumptive coagulopathy and a thrombocytopenia, a classic uh, snake bite. But in, uh, you know how in dogs and cats we see, uh, we see like uh, paralysis more often than not with eastern browns? You don't really get that um, in humans. You, it's weird. You, you get more of a, um, you know, a renal impairment or renal failure. So I, that was my main concern, and that was their concern too. And and also, you get this thrombotic microangiopathy. Um, so that's what can kill people if they get excited; they'll just drive a drive a heart heart attack. Um, and so they yes. were 
So are there any follow-up um, follow-ups currently? No, no. Do you have regular blood screens yeah. for renal function or? Yeah, I, I did. I did, um, you know, over the, uh, you know, few weeks after I had been bitten and um, I think I may have told you this story before um, and my final sort of um, blood test, I, w- I went, up, went up the road to the local uh, lab uh, office and, uh, you know, I made sure that I got up there around about 9, 9.30 and not at 8 because, you know, you have to wait for all the um, people a little bit older than me to sort of uh, get all their checkups and their blood tests done so they can go home and have their Vegemite on toast. So anyhow, there's only this one woman actually in the waiting room when I was there and, um, you know, she was probably, I don't know, early to mid-30s and um, an attractive young lady, but I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know what I'm like. I'm a, I'm, I'm a gentleman and I could, I sort of didn't stare or anything like that, but um, she was a, quite an attractive young lady. And um, anyhow, normally, you know, they call out your number, um, but they called out her name and uh, the lady behind the counter said, uh, Jennifer Hawkins. Yes, and I just and and for our overseas listeners, do you want to? Well, Jennifer Hawkins was, I think, around about two thousand and four. She was Miss Universe. Yep. So I look like a dog, you know, with trigeminal um, nerve palsy <laughs> when the mandible drops. <laughs> and the lady behind the counter, she just nodded at me, and I nodded back. I thought, wow. So I had my blood test done and everything, and I was I was walking home. Jane rang me and. She said, oh, how is it? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be fine. She said, you got the results back that quickly. I said, no, I had a sign, Dal. I just had a sign. I'm going to be fine. Yes. Now tell me, had you finished the chapter on venomous reptile? No. So no. So I got some really good photos and I got some really, really good sort of, uh, I guess, um, a slant on it. So, yeah, I, it was done with... Uh, quite a lot of uh, passion and uh, research and uh, yeah I was I mean that that book's been uh, I mean the bible of veterinary medicine apart from um, of course Fred Fry's, Fry's um, biomedical and surgical aspects of captive reptile husbandry and uh, Carmel and Johnson and Carmel and Johnson and all those other people yeah but I was really chuffed to actually finally get a chapter in that that book. Um, it goes back a long time, mate. When um, when I was uh, I was ducks of my primary school. That may surprise you, okay? But I actually was ducks of of my primary school. I wasn't good at sports, so I had to be good at something. So I was good at ducksing, um, and. For my um, efforts, mum and dad said, oh, we'll get you a book. What would you like? And I, I said, oh, we'll have to be Eric Worrell's Reptiles of Australia. And I still have that book, and it cost 59 and sixpence. And, yep, so... Um, so how did that... You, you obviously were pretty keen on, on reptiles at that stage, and I was going to ask yeah. you, how did you, how did you become interested in reptiles, and how did you then travel and get into veterinary science um so you can talk us through that as well but um so even at a very young age you had a bit of an interest in reptiles specifically or just wildlife uh well just animals and i i I grew up well my family come from the central um tablelands in new south wales bathurst and um you know, there's a but we lived in the middle of town, but there was there was still the opportunity to to sort of get out in the bush. And my mother would tell me stories, uh, uh, animals related stories. She's a great animal lover. And uh, then we moved to Western Sydney. Of course, Western Sydney in those days was um, reptile heaven because uh, there was a lot of um, housing development going on, but um, there was still lots of uh, creeks to explore and paddocks and you know our indigenous reptiles blue tongues and bearded dragons and um you know the odd whip snake that i might have caught and turtles so uh it, it was i don't know when it started i've always been interested and um then a real treat was uh, our yearly trip 
we used to go up to visit my um, my father's some of my father's family up in Gosford, and of course you know what's at Gosford, the Australian Reptile Park, which was owned and managed by Eric Worrell in those days. So, of course, um, you know I, I would have wanted his book that he wrote, Reptiles of Australia, and just sort of went on from there. And that interest in reptiles was parallel to my passion for becoming a veterinarian. And I didn't necessarily think that I'd be, uh, you know, a reptile vet because there was really no such thing uh, back in the yes. early 70s. Uh, um, I, I just wanted to be a vet that could treat anything and uh, any so animal in, that came in the door. So in secondary school, um, did, were you picking subjects to try and then get into university and do veterinary science or did yeah, you have yeah, any mate, English, thought? German, yeah. Italian. <laughs> 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 um, uh, I, I'm sure my English um, uh, my English marks uh, help, helped a lot. And, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I did top-level maths and top-level science and, and biology uh, as, as well, but uh, I've sort of had a parallel interest in, in language. So, um, uh, that was really good, and uh, one of the happiest moments of my life was when I sort of picked up the copy of the the paper on the front lawn when it was delivered at about five thirty in the morning, and I opened it up, and I can still remember the start of the code. It was S M, which meant uh, veterinary school. So I had I had matriculated and been accepted into um, the University of Sydney uh, Faculty of Veterinary Science, and yeah, what a ripper! Excellent. And when you first graduated, what 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 practice did you go into? Did you go straight into private practice? I did. I did. I uh, I think uh, from graduating, getting registered, I had about two days off or something, and I started at Blacktown Veterinary Clinic, which is still going, and it was established in the nineteen sixties um, by Dr. Russell Dickens and Russell Dickens was a pioneer of wildlife medicine, but he was also a very good mixed practitioner. So it was about a five or six person practice. And we had two call cars in Western Sydney and we would virtually service most of the, um, farms, uh, West of, uh, of, uh, Blacktown, which is sort of like the geographic or population center of Sydney. And we do dairy work, we we do horse work, we do lots of uh, dog and cat work, and um, we had a, a local uh, wildlife park, which is Featherdale, and uh, Featherdale in two years' time will celebrate its 50th anniversary, and that's the largest collection of Australian wildlife in Australia, and uh, I guess by... Uh, I guess it, that means in the world. So we've... Um, I guess I was really fortunate in in working in that practice where I had a boss that uh, would never say no to something. Like if you'd want to have a crack at something, he'd say, yeah, let's do it. Excuse me. Let's do it together. And um, yes, because we we didn't have specialists in those days, did we? No. And I presume it's similar to what Mark and I sort of went through in that um, you then became known as the, the vet who would see all the weird and the wonderful and, and it grew yeah. from there, especially your passion with the wildlife and, and the um, and the reptiles. Um, tell me how you managed to then, um, for listeners who probably don't know, you ended up working for, for many years, didn't you, um, part-time and uh, I think maybe full-time at some stage at, at Sydney Zoo, Taronga Zoo. How did, how did you end up? There. Well, that was sort of serendipitous. By, by that stage, um, well, my, my wife Jane, who's also a veterinarian, uh, we had a practice up in the Blue Mountains and we sort of sold that to sort of scale down a little bit and and just um, do what we really wanted to do. And we, um, we, we bought a smaller practice in Penrith and we, closer to our reptile owning um, client base and also closer to Featherdale, which we were servicing. And I decided to do a certificate in zoo medicine through the Royal College. And um, so that's a quite a rigorous uh, certificate. And uh, I, I passed the exams. And six months later, would you believe, a two-day-a-week job came up at Taronga Zoo. And the interview went well because I'd only six months ago done an exam uh, 
and an oral exam. So, uh, you know, and that was part of the interview process for the job. And yeah. Yes. Funnily enough, and I got must, it. Yes. And you must have had some interest in cases and experiences at, at Sydney Zoo. Um, there. Taronga, yeah. Um, Taronga any particular ones? Yep. Um, Taronga, sorry. And, any stick out? Uh, well, yeah. Like, uh, I, I, it's funny, people sort of think, oh, did you just treat the reptiles there? And I said, no, I, I treated it, everything from a funnel web to, a, to an elephant. And do you know, one day I had to go down and check one of the elephants and the next call I had to do was what we call the backyard to bush section and look at a funnel web with a, a strange sort of abdominal lesion. So, yeah, it really, really did happen. But I had a real soft spot for chimpanzees. Um, and in one in particular, Lulu, who got to know me quite well, and she, I was one of about only two or three people that she actually would do her little dance for, and um, she, I think, enjoyed seeing me, and um, that was just, it's a wonderful thing, uh, you know, it, it's its so different, say, from a dog just wagging its tail at you. Sometimes I think it, uh, you know, a dog like a little cavalier King Charles would wag its tail at anyone, wouldn't it? But um, chimpanzees are such complicated characters, and uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I was quite quite attached to Lulu, and I was I was quite upset when um, she actually had to be euthanized after I left um, due to um, age related conditions, arthritis. Yes. But she was well loved by all at the zoo, and and uh, yeah, I think she liked me too. So. Yeah, that, she was one of my favourites. But yeah, you know, I've treated treated all sorts there, and and got to uh, got to travel as well. Uh, I, I was involved with um, the Fijian Crested Iguana Project, led by Dr. Peter Harlow, who is uh, one of the gurus of, uh, I guess, reptile biology and iguanas in the world, and travelling to remote parts of Fiji and just hanging out with Pete and uh, doing some iguana research on this critically endangered animal. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was just, they actually paid me to go, but little did they know I would have paid them. <laughs> <laughs> the other, The other sort of area I'd like you to chat about, um, Robert, is how did you end up? president of the Australian Veterinary Association. I, I still don't know. I call myself the, <laughs> the accidental president, okay? Um, it, it was uh, – that was a real honour. Uh, and I think it started back uh, when I used to be involved with organising branch meetings for the Blue Mountains uh, and Penrith area with uh, a guy called Derek Major that you may know who is uh, equine veterinarian. He and I used to – one week he'd talk about you know why why he's not a snake vet, and the next next uh, you know month I'd talk about you know why I'm not a horse vet. So um, uh, we got a bit desperate at times for speakers, <laughs> but it sort of went on then to um, I I joined the unusual exotic pets group which you and Mark had started, and I was there shortly after you guys sort of started it, and I. Yes, I think you and the third person in the group. Just about. Robert. And yeah. I, found, I found that um, uh, I felt really at home with the people and, and, with, and with the subject and with the passion that we, we shared, and that was wonderful. And went on to become a policy counsellor, so we have the Policy Advisory Council on the AVA and um, each special interest group, and there are about 20 of them, and the state and territory divisions send a delegate, and I was the delegate. And I got to like um, going there because it was a, at that stage, it was two meetings a year, and most of the policies were animal welfare related, which is a great passion of mine. And I guess I got to be reasonably well known, and I then uh, was asked to join the board of the AVA and I was unsuccessful, I think, once or twice. And uh, I still remember the, the, um, the, the president at the time, Ben Gardner, calling me and to let me know that I had not been successful uh, in uh, getting onto the board. And I just said, oh, that's, that's okay, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm used to losing. I'm a Parramatta Eels supporter for those of you in the audience who know the Parramatta Eels, but aren't we doing well this year, just like St Kilda? Um, Brendan? <laughs> Anyhow, it's a shaggy dog story, but then I finally got onto the board and then uh, it, it came sort of, a, I guess, a, a movement for change and the board members asked for me to be president and I didn't get on that board wanting to be president. I got onto that board wanting to serve our profession and do the best I could for welfare and for our members. And and it was just, I was as shocked as anyone else, but I managed to um, do a reasonable job, I thought, and uh, I was on there for two years and I got to meet some amazing people to be involved in some amazing uh, policies and change within our profession and uh, yeah I, I I enjoyed it so much it was stressful at times very very stressful uh, but uh, I'd look on back on that and sort of think what a, what a great privilege it was for a, a lizard vet from Penrith. Yes and are you retired now? Um, Semi-retired? No no, no my my um uh, I just doing different things, but I, I still do. Uh, I still work at Featherdale today. Jane and I went down to Featherdale, and now it's a two hundred and twenty kilometre trip down there, so a bit over four hundred kilometres round trip. But we go down and do a few procedures, and today oh, we've been looking at a few koalas and paddy melons and uh, olive python and um, a couple of other animals, a few birds. So. That's good. I also do um, stock livestock welfare for the Department of Primary Industry. I, I chair what is called the Stock Welfare Panel. So we actually visit farms um, to, I guess, help stock owners uh, respond to requests from the RSPCA to, to lift their game. And uh, we, we look at sort of uh, helping these farmers and... Uh, and it's a collaboration between the RSPCA, the local land services, the DPI, New South Wales farmers, and um, and the rural crimes preventive team. So it's a it's a great thing. It's something that I didn't think I'd be doing, but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And it's it it has been busy because of the drought, but it's been getting less busy now, and uh, people are able to. Uh, you know, feed their stock better and look after their stock better. And I do a, a bit of sort of writing and consulting. Um, and we've got a very big garden that we're looking after now, so that's that's a lot of fun as well. So I'm definitely not retired and I'll always be a vet. Um, there's no way I won't be a vet. Like my, my boss, Russ Dickens, he's 91 years of age and he well, he's... He's unwell at the moment, but uh, up until about a month ago, he was still working. So I definitely can't retire when my when my mentor is still quite active. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of mentors, um, we've I think all three of us have been fortunate enough to um, mentor some of the younger veterinarians um, that are now out there in our profession. What's your advice to? We have a lot of listeners who want to become exotic vets or unusual mm. pet vets or zoo vets um, mm. and it's a particularly challenging environment isn't it at the moment not just with COVID but with with the student debt um, with any any veterinary students worldwide as they graduate in Robert so what's your advice or or, or pep talk for um, veterinarians who who are just graduating well, I, I use the phrase "create your own career." So, um, you know, think your your direction might change from when you first started vet to when you graduate, or it might change a few years down the track. At first, um, I wanted to be a cattle vet, um, uh, but you know, things change depending on the sort of animals you see and and you follow your passion. It's it's really important if you want to be a zoo vet, you you. You really need to get some practice at being a good all-rounder. So you need to be in mixed practice, and the best place to be in mixed practice is also, you know, a regional country town, and and you're going to be seeing a lot more stuff there than you would in a city practice where, uh, and doing stuff too, you, you're going to be doing more surgery uh, when you're in a uh, in a rural practice. Um, make sure that you're in a in a practice with at least a couple of vets in it. You don't want to be left on your own. 
um, because that can still happen and uh, that ain't right for a new grad. Um, you need plenty of support uh, and, that's the, and that's the way you'll learn as well. Join the AVA uh, mentoring sc- um, scheme um, and I know that you and, you and Mark have mentored lots of people over the years so you can mentor uh, or be mentored uh, officially through a program but um, how many of those people that we've mentored you know, through an official program, end up to be friends or, or always uh, know that they can contact us um, throughout the yes. year. And I think it's a great pleasure too to go to a UPAV conference and you see young people that were students and now they're successful practitioners. And you look at the program and well, hello, you know, they're they're presenting just after lunch on a, you know, on, on you know something or other. So it's. Uh, I guess, I guess it's important to, um, I guess, yeah, create your own career, uh, uh, and also don't be afraid to ask for help. Join a special interest group in the AVA. So, if you're interested in cattle medicine, yeah, join the cattle vets. I've actually just joined the cattle vets um, because I'm doing cattle work now, and it's really it's quite interesting. You get a welcome pack and everything, and I've I, I got a hat, boys. <laughs> I'm wearing it now. Can you see it? Yeah. Um, yes, very becoming. Yeah. Very yep. becoming, yes. Uh, but, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, is that what – with being a mentor too, um, I tell my mentees that it's like um, just having someone that is not your parent, is not your lecturer, that you can just talk to uh, and confidentially – and about anything, I, I don't care if if it's uh, it could be boyfriend or girlfriend troubles, or it could be how to do a spay on a on a rabbit. Uh, but yeah, it's it's important that you're a good listener. Uh, I heard a really good quote the other day. Uh, listen, um, what is it? Uh, listen not to reply, but listen to understand. So. Yeah, you, you've just got to basically be a bit of a sponge for them, and uh, yeah, I've I've got two mentees at the moment, one through the AVA and one through the University of Sydney, and I've had a fair few over the years. Yeah, yes, and it's quite often Mark, it's the ones that you think that don't need any help or say they don't need any help that might end up being the ones that will need you. So you can't pick it. Yes, and I can't recommend it enough to to um, get involved in the mentor-mentee program. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. And we all do it for for no no charges, that's for sure. I don't know whether they charge at all um, overseas. Um, Robert, do you know whether or not they have any fees involved with it? But it's certainly a free um, yeah. system, isn't it? And it's subsidised. Well, the, the the AVA here, the Australian Veterinary Association, they they have a platform where you can um, and they provide webinars, etc., and, and, and technical support. So they are funding it, I suppose. But there's no no actual charge to the mentor or the mentee. Yeah, that, that's right. You get some good training, which uh, is good, and uh, and and also the AVA have their mental health first aid uh, training that is always you know really fully booked. Uh, when they offer it, so I, I can't emphasise that too much uh, for for people to to do. Um, yep. Yes, Robert. Mark, do you have any questions? I do. I do. I've been. I've been here. Um, I just wanted to say that I've not missed uh, a moment of the things that Robert has said. He tells just beautiful stories, and I consider him one of my. Um, uh, professional and personal mentors and and one of the areas that I um, I really wanted to ask him about today is um, is a little bit off topic I suppose but um, your cartoons Robert um, when did you start doing them and um, and when's the next book coming out oh well you know I have this um, file or folder on my laptop and it's it says book three um, that file's been there for a few years now, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, it's like writer's block, Mark. You, you, you just. I mightn't do a cartoon. Well, I did one the other day that I sent around. You, you got it, um, and the the twenty twenty tennis elbow, uh, 
and I, I hadn't done one for about two years. Uh, but then I, I might be, I might do six in a day sometimes. So, so it's, um, I first started doing cartoons or seriously for Centaur magazine, you know, our faculty magazine at um, vet school. And But I'd been scribbling for a long time before that. But my first uh, published cartoon was in the Centaur magazine um, at, at the University of Sydney Vet School. But I, I um, through my AVA association years and years ago, I, I got to be the resident cartoonist at a, at a conference. It was back in 1998. And I also did caricatures of some of the speakers. And there was a guy called Baxter Black, and uh, he was an American sort of cowboy slash cattle veterinarian, and he was very easy to draw. And uh, but I, I only do cartoons these days. And I've through that association with the editor of the um, newsletter of the ABJ at that time, Jane Richardson. She then moved to the Australian, and I was doing some cartooning for the Australian for a while. So I was working for Rupert Murdoch, but I don't think he owned the Australian back in those days. Uh, and then I, um, uh, a friend of mine, Ian Fontaine, who you may remember, was uh, the drug rep's drug rep, and, and he uh, he was working for Pfizer at the time, or no Beecham, and uh, he uh, he wanted me to publish a, a book, so that was great. So my first uh, book of cartoons was published. Uh, in the very early 1990s, and I sent a copy of it to James Herriot, and he sent me back a lovely letter, which is on framed on the wall of my study now. Uh, he said he laughed himself sick. I think he was exaggerating. He's a nice fellow. <laughs> um, and then I, I did a second one about 10 years later, uh, and my efforts uh, a little bit more polished. Um, but I, I really I enjoy cartooning. Um, people say, oh, I read your comics. They're not comics. They're gag cartoons. So it's different. And I don't care if you laugh at them or not. Um, you, you only sort of look at a gag cartoon for about three three to five seconds, then you throw it away. So, uh, And I, the thing I love doing now is sending them to my friends. And you know the most common response, and Mark, you have said this, I needed this today. <laughs> I needed it, and uh, <laughs> yes. you know, it's just a little, uh, it's a little surprise at the start of the day or something. Just to, um, it's not just a surprise. Like. <laughs> it's not just a. It's a very pleasant surprise, but it's also. Um, uh, they're always so um, insightful in the ways of, um, of the way vets look at the world. It's like I don't know an in joke. Um, and it always brings a smile to my face. And, and I don't know what it is, but they do turn up uh, in my inbox just at the time I really need them. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I don't plan that, but let's call it serendipity. Um, yeah. And, and you must, if, with, with your permission, Robert, we will put one of your cartoons. Yes. Um, um, on the uh, on this particular podcast episode um, at vetgurus.com, if it's okay with you. So if I'm, you could send a f- yeah, few I'll, through, through. I'll send a few through and, um, yeah, you can uh, go. You're a man of many talents, Robert, and one of your other talents um, before we wrap up is languages. How many different languages do you speak uh, well let me say it, it, it's it's like it's like this um years and years ago a neighbor of mine who was quite an earnest chap um said to me so how many languages do you speak fluently and i said one english and he goes oh so why do you bother learn, trying to learn those other languages and i said mate i've noticed that you do a lot of running and i said how often do you run he said oh every weekend you know and I said you ever run a marathon and he said no I said I rest my case (laughs) I rest my case but yeah I I studied I really liked languages um I did German at school and achieved a um uh, a pretty good pass in that and it's funny I've just uh, reconnected with my couple of boys that I studied German with who are both German and uh and uh (laughs) I, I beat both of them, so um, 
And, <laughs> and it's, it's the joke of our reunions now because Andy, who organised our reunions, he goes, Eugene Gunner, I, I don't know, could you tell us who came first in the high school certificate in 1971 in German? Was it Robert Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, I shouldn't talk about myself like that. But um, where I grew up, it's Little Malta, really. I think there's more Maltese around Pendle Hill than, uh, you know, they're in Malta. And um, when, I, when I became a, a, a vet, uh, a lot of uh, my clients, particularly market garden clients with a single cow, were Maltese. So I actually did a TAFE course in Maltese for a year, and I still try to speak a bit of that. Um, but I did Italian also at school, and I can speak it reasonably fluently, particularly if, if I have a glass of wine. And then I had a bit of a hiatus uh, during my vet career. I was still working as a vet, but I needed something different. So I did a degree in um, modern Greek language and literature. So I can read, um, write and speak modern Greek. And uh, I did some Chinese. And at the moment I've been battling uh, with Hungarian. Hungarian is very, very difficult. A very beautiful language, but very, very difficult it sort of has sticks bits in the middle of words and on the ends of words and and yeah it's um a quite complex language and it's it's not really um it it actually comes from asia so it's not it is an indo-european language but it's not it's not a european language yeah so it's even though hungarians now live in europe but it's one of the most beautiful languages, yeah. Even when you're saying something really, really horrible to someone, um, you know, <laughs> it sounds fantastic. It sounds yeah. beautiful. Yep. yep. I think you undersell yourself a bit, um, Robert, with your language skills. You have a particular ear, don't you? And I've certainly had a few, let's say, coffees with you where you'd um, – we'd have a waiter come over and you would not only be able to say what country they came from, but more often than not, what district or region of that particular country, um, especially the European countries. And how do you explain that? Uh, too many beers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too many beers. Um, you being uh, too kind, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's like I really love music, but I cannot play music, um, but... I love language and I love hearing people uh, speak different languages and, and it's like a puzzle. I've got to figure out this puzzle. I, and the way I, the way I figure out where someone comes from, I also think, oh, you sound like, um, you sound like that client of mine who comes from Lancashire. And the last thing that somebody from Lancashire wants to be called is a, a Yorkshireman, okay? So you, you get that sort of thing right pretty early in the piece. But it, it's like music where, you know, you know, people who are into music can can hear if somebody's just a little bit, um, you know, flat uh, or, you know, the, the guitar's not tuned and that sort of thing. And that's what I can hear with people speaking. So I guess it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that I enjoy and I also enjoy like if somebody's uh, got a, an unusual name I'll enjoy figuring out um, where that name comes from yeah it's it's funny I, can I tell you just a quick story uh, sure there was there was this guy and his last name was Mjadvesh um, M-J-A-D-W-E-S-C-H and he was a client and uh, I said Mjadvesh hmm what sort of a name's that? And he goes, "Oh, it's European." And I said, "Well, I figured that." <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, come on, mate, it's it's European, right? <laughs> so I said, "Well, the the Mjad sounds Slavic, the Vesh sounds German." I said, "You wouldn't be Vendish, would you? Like Sorbian?" And he said. Well, actually, I'm the secretary of the Australian Vendish Association. <laughs> he said, and then he thought I was some sort of spy. because, I, And I said, no, I just figured it out. And I was just reading something about the Vendish language the other day and you've got two different dialects. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it was it was hilarious. <laughs> but, I, but I got it right, and I felt like saying, "Don't tell me you're just bloody European." <laughs> yeah, Robert, you are indeed a man of many talents, and it's been great to catch up with you, even if it's only virtual. We haven't caught up physically for a while now. <laughs> no, no, we, so, we haven't. I nice. always enjoyed uh, the company of both of you chaps and, um, yeah, I can't wait till we get to have another meeting face-to-face. It's uh, it's pretty awful at the moment. And, Brendan, I, I feel for you and all your fellow Victorians at the moment. Um, I think Daniel Andrews, your Premier, is doing a great job. But I think one of the worst jobs at the moment would be to be Premier of Victoria, but yeah, he's been a good leader. Yes, yeah. I think so. Well, thank you very much, Robert, and um, we hope our listeners have enjoyed our little our little chat and we'll get you back on another time. Thank you, Doctors Mark and Brendan. It's been a pleasure and I'll see you soon and I'll hopefully Thanks. I'll be able to shake your hands <laughs> and not wear a mask. Well, there you go, Mark. Robert has a lot of stories to tell, as usual, and um, I miss I miss sitting at a bar in some far-flung country with you and Robert and um, talking about some of our failures and our <laughs> successes in, in veterinary practice, Mark. Um, it's hopefully really, it's uh, really one of the, the amazing things about being able to do the podcast is to share that that genuine pleasure of um, of conversation with um, you know like minded people with people that we respect. So yep, I, I miss it too, Brendan. Yes, well, I hope you all enjoyed our special number one hundred and fifty, and we hope you will come back next week and listen to number one hundred and fifty one. And we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time